So if you're just tuning in, before you listen to this, stop what you're doing. Make sure you listen to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, Season 2, Episode 6. The one called King of Tears is what we're talking about today. We'll see you right back here. Hey, everybody, you are listening to Run Out Numbers. I'm Casey. And I'm Laura. And this is the Run Out Numbers podcast, hopefully the first of many podcasts. Run Out Numbers podcast edition. Run Out Numbers podcast. Um, we got the urge to do this. Um, we've we've done like some writing and stuff before, and we do a lot of talking about music together. Yes. Um, on the radio show and just in our daily lives, but um, something came up this week that we realized <laughs> we cannot distill into writing, and so and we were talking about it, and we're thinking, okay, if we're dialoguing about this, but we there's no way to like put it in writing. Maybe we should record it. Maybe we should talk about it. Yes. That's absolutely right. Um, so the thing that irked us, I think. Irked is, a, I would say, not a strong enough word. The thing that enraged us yeah, this that's week. Fair. Um, we each got sent this podcast, I think, from multiple people. And it was Malcolm Gladwell's. Oh, I got to pull up like the exact time. It's the King of Tears, right? Mm-hmm. It's Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, which is called Revisionist History. Revisionist History. And the latest episode is called The King of Tears. And it sucks. It is so dumb. Okay. <laughs> to be fair, we're coming. We don't want to just, you know tear into this podcast for yourself but it also (laughs) exists for us to tear into so okay malcolm gladwell apparently reportedly a person who has never heard music before by the way he's acting about it um just sets out to explore the difference between sad songs in country music and just rock music in general well he's trying to like draw lines like he's trying to he's trying to like sum up the country which is like obviously a very fashionable thing to do right now where he's like (laughs) the actual division of the country is Is found in music this and he does that by doing the lamest ass trick all the time where he goes i just don't understand this i've never i can understand having a little bit of like journalistic estrangement like, I think that's what he's trying okay. to do is trying to like back away from it to be like, we're ta- I'm taking a fresh angle at this. This isn't how Malcolm Gladwell feels that's about true. this, but, but it ends up Do- that way. It doesn't work because he's Canadian. <laughs> that's apparently what he keeps saying. So Malcolm starts off his argument with this thing that middle schoolers do. and A, a forced binary? Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not even talking the forced binary. I'm talking... The thing he does where he goes and cites the the Rolling Stone, like, top 100 lists or whatever. Oh, yeah. And then he starts drawing these lines immediately between country music and rock music. So, for example, the thing he does that is so annoying um, is he starts going down the list. And he's like, okay, I've got this list of the Rolling Stone's top 500 songs. Which, okay, so... I understand that there's no way to really measure like a genre or anything like that without or have an example with without something like the Rolling Stone list. But let it go on record that I don't think either of us holds the Rolling Stones best song list as 
any sort of absolutely it's not like a definitive right. list okay. and so that's i think the, his first error is but that see, he's treating that like it's like the but what he does with the record. list is worse yes so true he says that the list is like the top 50 or something or he's like oh okay well the list is the top 500 songs of all time let's narrow that down to the top 50 so you're already taking okay 10 percent top 50 uh, let's take 10 Which of those for Beatles be, songs. He, <laughs> yeah, seriously. He believes those to be the best of the best. Yeah, and so he's... he's and in many cases they are, but not definitively. Mm-hmm. And he's he's messing with the data already, right? So he already like shaves away just a huge amount. Um, and then he starts doing something that you literally see on like Facebook memes, which is they're like olden times music. Uh, and then it's like Bohemian Rhapsody lyrics or something, and then it's like music nowadays, and it's like Little Wayne's a milli, a milli, a milli, a milli. <laughs> he gets so and he torn puts the up. up. Oh my god! He gets so torn up about Tutti Fruity, an incredible piece of rock music. Like it's a time capsule. Which I think this is a good place to say something else about how he's approaching this. He's really isolating words and not understanding that words and music go into a song absolutely you can't it that creates the emotion that creates the cultural piece i think so just taking the words away isn't really useful well and he completely discounts the energy of something like little richard's like playing tutti frutti or in a dance hall yeah. or performing yeah. Tutti Frutti. yeah and so you can't just like do that so he's already he was already on thin ice with yes, us yes yeah um and it, so that is his first step in creating this false dichotomy. Like he even starts saying stuff where he's like, as you would remember, Tutti Frutti, whose lyrics say Tutti Frutti, oh Rudy, Tutti Frutti. I would normally oh be Rudy. mad at Casey for being this huffy about it, but this is actually how Malcolm Gladwell approaches it. He actually does that. That's how he sounds. He sounds like a highfalutin jerk. Yeah. He sounds really mean. Who's about to hear country music for the first time ever? Um... And then he claims that none of the songs on that list are sad. He's like, these are all like party songs and like sex songs. And he calls them like a monument to extroversion or something yeah. like that. Like it's all about how even at their, at what they think is their saddest, they're still partying or they're still like he feels that like a rolling stone is the saddest song on the list. Cause it's number one. No, no, no. He says that's like, he makes fun of that one too. Cause he's like, Oh, it's about a girl that drops out of right, Harvard. Right. Yeah. Like the worst so I think analysis. He's, of so Bob he's Dylan. also <laughs> trying to use that as, um, first of all, he acts like Bob Dylan's lyrics, which at times they are, but in like a rolling stone, they are not, um, were some sort of secret code. And he reads them like no one's ever read them before. Yes. And then, it becomes a, an example of how out of touch rock music can be because this is the drama here is that she's leaving Harvard, which is so... He's super wrong. Uh, and so he does this. He, he takes this top 50 list and says there are no sad songs. Laura, why don't we each took separate notes here? Let's go over the list of songs uh, that he missed. He claims, sure. he claims that Smokey Robinson and the Miracles at number 49 on the list with Tracks of My Tears is the only decently sad song in the top 50. And we've each got lists that have some like pretty sad songs on it if you're not a robot like Malcolm Gladwell. Yes, (laughs) so uh, Gimme Shelter 
Is that 38? Uh, you've lost that love and feeling by the Righteous Brothers. That's what I texted because <laughs> I was working on this and I texted Casey and I was like, I am so upset about this podcast. So now I'm looking at this list to see what he's working off of. And he left off You've Lost That Love and Feeling, which is the literal death of a relationship. We've lost that love and feeling for you, yeah, Malcolm seriously. Gladwell. Stairway to Heaven, or Stairway to Heaven, yeah, is on there. Number Stairway 31. Yeah, that could be... It's I, not like, that's not like a sob sad story, song. but like, it's not happy. But he, he overlooks stuff like What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, which is just like, wow. Like, that is, again, a definitive song of yesterday. a moment. Just because, yesterday? Yesterday. That sucks. <laughs> so he's just cherry-picking what makes his very weak argument stand, I guess, but it's not even good. It's not, it's not a good argument. He comes across sounding like an alien and he's very much like, well, rock music is all about sex. Um, I heard a rumor that Malcolm Gladwell has never had sex. So <laughs> That's probably libel. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what you can say on the internet anymore. <laughs> so one of the best parts about the podcast, um, if you can get past his argument is getting to hear from a national songwriter who's really famous and very talented, Bobby Braddock. And he interviews him in Nashville, but of course he interviews him like he's interviewing him on Mars. And he is the king of tears. Like eventually Malcolm gets to the point, like Bobby Braddock is the king of tears. Yeah. I mean, you can make that argument for a bunch of people in country music, but he has some serious clout behind that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things Braddock says is that country music is supposed to be about real life. He does not assert that that means that rock music isn't or that anything else isn't or that country music is the only thing about real life. That's just his real life. I'm fine with that, actually. Like, that's a Bobby. Like, that's a solid point. Well, and that's what I was going to say is if you have to force a binary, which I guess if you're making like a pop history, pop psychology podcast, maybe you do to get people interested. Um I would force the binary of country music is about real life and rock and roll is about fantasy, which is exciting. But even then, there's a fantasy element to all music because it's a story and you're listening to a recording. Like, there's a suspension of belief there. Yeah, he mentions, he he has a quote here. I think this was from Gladwell. He says, one is hymns to extroversion. The other wants to have a good cry, which like... I can't tell where Malcolm is like putting himself in this binary because again, you can't just like sit down and like cry to some rock music. Like, like the just river? gotta cry. Like, are you kidding? You gotta cry. <laughs> so uh, back to back to Bobby Braddock though. I think um, he is the best part of this. I, the the whole podcast should have just been an interview with Bobby Braddock where he's like, "Wow, you're so incredible." Right. It, because if you really want to remove yourself journalistically, great. Let your subject talk. Don't be trying to force this. And also assuming that like no one who's listening has heard country music before, yes. which is also odd to me. That's, and that's his thing. We, this is what we were discussing is the he, he starts talking to Bobby Braddock and being like, oh, my God, these songs are so emotional pretending or discovering the fact that country music is a culture all in its own. It has its own backstories. It has its own heroes and villains. And he just, he's just discovering this and he's like, did you guys know? It's also, it's also a genre that has plenty of songs that aren't sad. Yes. And he will. And he doesn't, but he acts like it's all just ballads and there's ballads and rock music too. But eventually he um, he comes to a point where 
uh, he makes a distinction, and this is like he makes a big time. Uh, there's some lines being drawn. He takes a song that Bobby Braddock wrote, uh, D-I-V-O-R-C-E by Tammy Wynette, and Wild Horses by the Rolling Stones, and compares them. And he says, hey, one, the Tammy song is incredible. Its breadth of emotion is so deep and so varied. It brings up all of these different emotions. And he also talks to Bobby Braddock about writing the song and yeah. the specific things they did to make it more mournful than it was before. Yes, it, it had. He he mentions that it had like an Oscar Mayer Wiener jingle melody for a while, and then it got changed, and it was very sad. And then Tammy got to sing it, which is great. But then he comes to the part where he goes, "Oh, let's compare this to a song on the Rolling Stones top fifty list, Wild Horses by the Rolling Stone, which is so yammering." I would like to interject here that he's clearly confused if he's using Wild Horses, which is from kind of the most country-sounding period of the Stones. Wild Horses is a country song. Right. Like, so I guess that's a little confusing to me. But 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 again, Malcolm doesn't understand that the Rolling Stones were like using the setting of a country ballad. Right. To use and access some of those like emotional tricks sort of thing. Because genres are just a bucket to him. That's and right. And there's no fluidity to it. And there's no like artistic value to co-opting a genre to him. So he, he gets to that point and he says, well, um, okay, so Mick wrote this song, Wild Horses, and it's just so cliche. Uh, and he talks a little bit about how Mick wrote it for his then girlfriend, Marianne Faithful. He wrote it on her bedside while she was going through an overdose like again tragic story you can almost hear him rolling his eyes while he says that though yeah as if no one in country music has ever been in that situation Well, no and then so then he gets to his point about that and he goes well country music is good because of specificity like the specific details that get brought up in the songwriting uh are what make the emotion so powerful completely glossing over the fact that he just told a very specific story for the very specific setting of this song yes exactly and so totally he he even brings it up he's like oh well mick jagger wrote this about marianne faithful who was addicted to heroin and had her son taken away etc blah 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 (laughs) and so on so so the specificity the specific i knew it was gonna happen i know i knew it was gonna happen working around it the specificity argument is something that Everybody, like, I knew he was going to bring it up, and it's just garbage. It's just trash. But he also likes to bring up the relatable part of it when it's convenient for him, because all of a sudden, it's not so much the specificity, nailed it, as much as it is (laughs) the everyone can relate to this so it's like pick one because then he's saying like well the rock side of the country when he legitimately said rock side of the country and country side of the the country i was like i don't think you have an understanding of how popular music or genre even begins to work well so later he's talking to bobby braddock and he's referencing um a portion of braddock's book where he the Braddock, the songwriter, says one of his favorite things to do was before cell phones went completely digital was to listen to people's conversations. And he, which one, super creepy. Do not do that. Do not I guess that's kind of what you're doing like, now, though. Oh, man. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he goes, one of my favorite conversations was this. Uh, I heard this couple fighting and it was, you know, they did all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then I heard this son talking to his mother and 
he was having like sexual problems with his wife and then she was like come on over and let's drink some whiskey and i was like hey you just described all this stuff and and he's like isn't it crazy that in just those two conversations you've got sex and drugs and love someone was and dying i'm pretty and sure was di- oh yeah she yeah. had cancer the yeah. mom had cancer and so i was like those are all the things that you just talk shit about rock music for also like, cliches yeah i'm not saying checking all of the boxes on um hardships in life is a cliche but it's it's kind of old after a while which it does. i think could be a cliche um so moving from the the specificity argument into another of my most hated musical arguments is authenticity um oh god oh god so Gladwell eventually starts making a point about authenticity and he uses this anecdote to make his point. Um, and the story is about his sister, I think, going to uh, a public library to see a, a classical music performance. And the the piece of music was, I think it's Anne Frank's Diary set to music by a husband and wife team. So it's an opera, yeah. He talks about how it was, the the music was so powerful and it was incredible and uh, the the audience was crying eventually. Eventually and the, the whole choir and the conductor like everyone, everyone was, was sobbing. Everyone was crying. He he has this big interview about he he talks to the performer, the singer and says, "How did you not cry?" And she goes, "Well, I just couldn't look at anybody. I looked into the middle distance and blah blah blah." So he gets to his point and he says, well, why were we crying? And he's like, okay, well, obviously it was very beautiful music. Yes. Um, obviously the performance was fantastic. Yes. All great. And then he, uh, goes to kick that football. He's like about ready to do it. And he just yanks it away from himself at the last second. He goes, because it is authentic. What does that mean? Because we believe it. Um, which to me kind of, completely glosses over the fact that country music was one manufactured right since the start since it is the a beginning. commercial music and rock music also manufactured yes like it manufactured as a business from the very beginning but this whole argument of authenticity of it it just appeared out of her it just like blossomed out of her and that's what the authenticity of just somebody in a room like letting their feelings out and then he switches back to Bobby Raddick, who is literally a cog in the country music machine. A, a very important cog, right? Like, yes. he's a very big cog. That, like, But he's in a system. But he's in a system. And he he glosses over the... Like, later he brings up that, yes, like, the song takes on new meaning by being sung by different people and, and all these other things. But this isn't just him, like, Robert Johnson, like, authenticity sort of thing. You know? I Well, I think to saying that something is commercial is or in the word his words not authentic does not deny the talent that's just the system that it happens in and so i think you can easily see when someone's new to country music if they think that country music is coming flowing out of banjos played by barefoot people that's not at all that's that's not it which it was at a time like like folk music yeah, was country like music never music was. or appalachian music or, or right. field hollers all, or well, recordings all of the like, root the roots of all of the music we're talking about were yes so that's why it gets frustrating when there's these very divisive boundaries yes understanding that that serves no one that's and, not realistic and 
the strange parameters of this authenticity argument can be different for everyone and never truly gel. He even says the the thing I have written down here in my notes, he talks about how we weren't in a concert hall at Carnegie Hall and everybody was wearing suits, implying that that would be inauthentic, which like, have you seen country music awards? Like, Right. Have you seen the Grammys or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Like, right. Those things have a structure They're around a production. them now. They're a production now, and they always have and been. And that's fine. Like, that's again. That's he a show. He doesn't you understand the show. He doesn't understand the show or the production. He doesn't. He didn't understand Little Richard singing Tutti Frutti and like why that's important. Why does he want to go to stuff that's <laughs> I don't get bad? It. He wa- He wants to. Here I am. I'm falsing a forced binary. It's. Good it's or bad. bad. <laughs> this happens to be bad. Um, so I, I don't know. There, there was just something about Gladwell's argument there where he brings up this authentic versus inauthentic, which is just so overcooked and overdone. It's so boring. Can I say something? No. I think <laughs> I get the sense, and this kind of comes from a lot of different people who sort of fetishize that authenticity in country music especially if they seem kind of worn out on rock music there mm-hmm. i they'll jump to this i kind of get the sense he's shocked that working class people can have emotions and then are able to express the emotions in a way that's also entertaining to him yeah we we talked about that it feels it, it i guess just the way gladwell speaks about his it, detachment it sounds very like pat on the head like it's voyeuristic wow. to yeah me. which whoa braddock was voyeuristic <laughs> whoa buddy all right we're we're coming up with some smart things on this podcast right off the bat <laughs> are the new listeners gone yet are the new listeners gone yet so i think that his decision to fetishize the country music authenticity part of it and then turn rock into like a fantasy wait wait though you i want to hear more because you brought up the idea that gladwell is surprised that these working class people right can um create well, he, these pieces of music this and, is and, bobby braddock's job and bobby yeah. braddock is really good at his job absolutely and he goes on to talk about george jones later george jones also really good at his job yes and that's his job um and but they're talented forces of nature in a way it depends how you look at it and so him all of it being him thinking that george jones is like more legitimate than mick jagger when in in my opinion i think he was lucky enough that uh that Braddock even had the song for him and that, that the, the song st- lined up. Or that the structure of country music supported him too. Yes, absolutely. it's a business. So I think his fascination with this discovery of country music, which as an aside, he keeps saying it's because he's from Canada. Country music is huge in Canada. Huge. Our girl, Terry Clark. Yeah. Shout out to Terry Clark, friend of the show. Yes. Love you, Terry. Um, so... You can tell he's just kind of processing these emotions for the first time, and he's clearly an outsider, and he's kind of comfortable with being an outsider. Or he's trying to make himself seem like an outsider, which I hate that. Like Either way, he is, because no one who's actually an insider would try to say, try to estrange themselves that much from it. I don't know. I just don't think... Like, you... Why should we listen to you then? If you've never heard country music, I would rather just listen to someone who cares about country music talk about it. And that goes- I want to hear someone who 
loves everything about country music talk yes. about why george jones makes them cry and that goes back to our point of this podcast episode of malcolm gladwell's should have just been an interview with bobby braddock yeah where he goes oh my god i can't believe all of these songs were written by a single person explain please he and stopped then- <laughs> loving her today yeah, yeah. What, how'd you do that like he, but he doesn't do that he has to put his like stupid pop size spin on things which i will admit I read some of those books. It's compelling. I, like, I remember reading his his Freakonomics, and it's fairly good, and you, it's good because it feels like hard science, you know what I mean? Right. Again, but right. he, he pulls the same tricks. I, I don't want to get into, like, uh, an argument about, like, his other books, but... I want to read a Freakonomics about country music that would now. Be, that would be really good. <laughs> but he, in Freakonomics, he kind of pulls a lot of the same stuff that he does uh, in this interview and in this podcast he does that thing where he starts shaving away the data he's cherry picking some stuff he metaphorically takes the list of 500 songs and breaks it down to 50 and goes look how many songs are in this 50 and picks two from it and acts like that's the whole list yes um seems to be a bad habit he has That's a bad habit that you have gladwell calling you out the last half of the podcast is like fairly weird i would say the last 10 minutes and it's when he goes over the like location stuff that's his other favorite thing to do and he's like well obviously look at the the birthplaces oh yeah of all the songwriters for country music he uses that to bolster his divided america yes and and he does so by doing this he says okay the the um top 50 country songwriters where are they from and it's oh arkansas texas tennessee louisiana alabama mississippi blah 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 the american south then he goes on, what about the um, what about the top 50 rock music songwriters? Completely ignoring the fact that rock is a broader genre and always has been for the most part. Um, and so he's like, oh, Jamaica, Detroit, L.A., Dallas, Minneapolis. Like he's like, they're all over the place. It's everybody. And he swings it back to his specificity argument by saying, um, well... Because all of those people are from the same places, they can be more specific because they they're sp- talking to their people. They sort speak of thing. the same language. One, reductive, like incredibly reductive. And I think that's more of his his voyeuristic part of it, too, where he feels like none of it can apply to him. Yeah. But then he'll take the parts that he likes or reacts to and apply them to him. Yeah. But it's it's the whole like, well, obviously, all these people from the South had the same experiences, which some of them did. Absolutely. I'm not trying to say that they all had the same languages. There is more of a common experience, but that's also not to say that every person who lives in Alabama thinks, feels, acts, has the same music preferences. Yes. And he, he also doesn't bring up like those things turn into cliches, right? Those shared experiences eventually... But he hates cliches, yeah, Casey. Yeah, but he hates cliches. He just doesn't talk about them. But he he circ- he tries to circle back to that specificity argument without touching on the idea that, oh, this shared language that he's talking about is made up of cliches, right? The trucks, the jeans, the my dog left me, like my wife left me, like all that stuff is what country music was made out of because that was the shared language right right i also find that very reductive of country music but we won't get into we'll that move on. that's the next podcast <laughs> so i guess i i don't know i just i think we were both just so passionate about this because we didn't want to see malcolm gladwell out there disparaging the great name of country music or american music in general it is odd to be close 
to like in Nashville and being part of Nashville, it's odd to be close to it and see how people react to country music in the broader culture. And also knowing that you are at one time unaware, like I was raised on rock. Casey was raised on rock. Absolutely, That's, I mean, that's, that was our interest. And so country music is new to us, but unlike Malcolm Gladwell, we kind of ate our humble pie with it. Yeah. I, and just tried to learn as much as we could as like, as, as pretty diligent students of it. Um, and not necessarily going based on lines or buckets of genre or, you know, and, and he, um, I think the conclusion that uh, Gladwell is kind of overlooking is that these things can be sad in different ways. Like a Bruce Springsteen song is sad in a much different way than a George Jones song. Like it's rock's whole bent has kind of always been nostalgia, right? The nostalgia for the better times. He talks about how even in the saddest rock songs, you still get to go to a party. That, um, yeah, that but you're Smokey like Robinson crying song. in the corner but at that party because you start to realize that like you're old now. <laughs> That's yeah. so and so and so he he doesn't understand that like this specific nostalgia is is sad and that's what uh, that's the kind of oh man uh, should i quote mad men in episode one do it the nostalgia the pain of an old wound right yeah and well, that's kind that's kind of what rock music is to me i guess and part of that is in country music but like if you want to look at the epitome of it like your bruce springsteen's your tom petty's your jackson browns it's that like nostalgia laced uh spirit of fun i guess well it's youth culture like it's older people singing about when they were younger not to say that that doesn't happen in country music but that's truly the attraction of rock music yeah no that's true which that's automatic nostalgia absolutely and and so gladwell just looks right past that which Which, uh, plenty of things that rock and country have in common nostalgia like when you're singing about what's happening at your grandma's house but then in the third verse you tell us your grandma's been dead for 15 years there were better times yeah yeah like that's guess what perhaps just a part of popular music you can even find that in hip-hop where they talk about what neighborhoods used to be like or like what their friend used to do of course how much they miss them guess what perhaps that's even just human a human condition even uh, a part of the human condition let's fascinate at it like we're malcolm gladwell (laughs) which again just just emphasizes the idea that Malcolm Gladwell thinks he's some damn alien like looking down trying to decipher the communication waves from these different portions of the country. Uh, Gladwell's favorite trick is to add a pointless metric to something. Things that can't be measured quantitatively. He's like, obviously we will be doing that. Yes. So he cites this study that was done by somebody I can't remember, but it was, I remember it going around on Facebook like a lot. I remember a lot of people sharing this on Facebook and it was about this study that occurred where um, researchers basically put a bunch of musical lyrics into a computer and then had the computer go through an algorithm of removing the repetition. Like, So it eliminated, like, if a line is repeated, that yeah, would be taken out. It, it starts stripping it away. Um, he cites that 60% of rock lyrics get removed. So 60... Uh, 
rock lyrics are um 60 percent repetitive 60 percent repetitive exactly okay so then uh he looks at the country music lyrics and sees that only 40 percent is removed so only 40 percent of country music and he's like oh my god almost you know a fifth or whatever and and instead of taking a step back and thinking oh um country music songs are usually shorter these are different styles yeah. yeah There's, he, he just jumps to why does non-repetitive equal better yeah well it's it's his claim that repetition or cliche is lazy which then becomes well and and i'm not saying the cliche isn't lazy but he his his claim that repetition is lazy is bad when repetition is a tool that songwriters have and you know what is bad taking words away from their music to evaluate a whole song i yes that's good well once again we're back to the oh tutti frutti oh rudy it could a be milli, performed a milli, a milli. yeah all of those <laughs> lines could be performed completely differently it's yes it, malcolm gladwell my conclusion and my gut feeling from the very start of thinking about this podcast was literally the kid on your Facebook page, which I will raise my hand to God and say that I was one of those kids at one time long ago. It's a phase. Everyone it's a does phase it. Where you put the sheet music for one thing and the sheet music for another thing next to each other on your Facebook and you say, there it is. One's better. Why are we <laughs> fighting about what's better and what, what these this forced dichotomy just annoys me. I don't get it. Malcolm Gladwell forces the dichotomy. He makes a bunch of crappy arguments um, and he cherry picks the data in his in his new podcast. I'm calling him out. I'm not pulling any punches. We could just keep that recording and probably use it for like all of his podcasts. I want this one yeah, specifically this one. <laughs> about country music. And and Malcolm Gladwell is, yes, very successful. He's way more successful than we are. Yes. But don't you try to come into our house and tell us shit about Get Tammy Wynette's name out of your mouth Don't Malcolm Gladwell there I won't even bring up the fact that uh by cherry picking all of the data he completely overlooks the much maligned 80s alternative music that was so sad and mopey that everybody makes My fun God, of it now God I can't even listen to it he completely overlooks songs, and I, I am almost positive these are on there. The Cure, R.E.M., all The of Smiths. Those, all of those would be on the top 500. Absolutely, and I know they are. And so he just he gets to overlook them. But, like, is that not rock music? Or, like, what is rock music? It, Gladwell can't answer for it because his argument sucks, and his podcast sucks. Our podcast is great. This is the first episode. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> It's been great. It's been real great. We really appreciate it. We hope that this will be one of many. Yes. Uh, if you would like to hear more from us, you can hear us spin records on the radio at WXNA. Um, yep. And you can check out more of our writing, our past radio shows, and so forth at runoutnumbers.com. Thank you very much.